Welcome to the Grace Capital City Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Anyone else got chills from that? That was incredible. Uh, man. Well, welcome. If I haven't met you before, my name is Chris, and uh, I serve as the lead pastor here at Grace Capital City, and uh, we are just honored to have you with us tonight. If you call Grace Capital City your home, or if you are a guest, a visitor, we are honored that you are here and part of our celebration tonight. Tonight's a special night for us and for our church. And um, yeah, we just pray that you are truly, truly blessed by our time tonight. We wanted to just take a moment to catch a breath. Let the choir catch a breath uh, more specifically. Um, but what we wanted to do is, is just have a little bit of a conversation and um, have a moment just to, to hear a little bit of the heart behind what we're doing and um, even some backstory. Obviously, it's, it's the last Sunday of Black History Month, so we're excited about that. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the things we've talked about as a team with David, our worship leader, and we'll, we'll, we'll honor David for his work in this a little bit later, but... Uh, I remember when last year when we were getting ready to have the first night of these uh, gospel music celebrations, David said to me, he said, he said you know, what I want in, for all of Black History Month, but especially for this night, is I, I want the whole church, white, black, brown, to enjoy some of the best of black culture and the black church. I want them to experience and to enter in and to recognize and celebrate how the black church has blessed and influenced the global church. Because at the end of the day, we are all part of one church, right? Amen. And yet there are many different streams and flavors to that church. And every different stream and every different flavor, we get to learn from each other and we get to celebrate some of the best of what comes out and what God has done in that particular group. And so what I wanted to do is we have one of my really good friends, uh, Freddie Washington Jr. here. Can we give it up for Freddie? And if you've been around Grace Capital City for a little while, you may remember Freddie because Freddie was what we affectionately call our COVID worship leader. And uh, he was serving with us for about a year or so and leading worship and uh, paved the way for David to come in and, and take over and just became a dear friend and a dear brother. And uh, I thought, what an opportunity to have him to help direct the band, to work with David, but also to get a minute just for us to chat and to hear some of his story and his experience. And so that's what we're going to do. So Freddie, why don't you come on over and let's give it up for Freddie. You can grab a mic on your way over. Mic two, this is it. When you take the middle, there we go, come close. I, I first met Freddie uh, a, a number of years back. We were playing an event in Philly, I think it was. Right, yeah. I was leading worship and uh, they said, oh, we got this keyboardist for you. Um, didn't realize what kind of, what level keyboardist they had. But for some reason, this is my main memory, is I was singing the theme to Full House in Soundcheck. I don't know why. 
And you just started jamming. You just played the whole thing in whatever key I was playing it in. And I was just like, oh, okay, i got to pay attention to this guy. And uh, that developed us. It seemed like a bonding moment. It definitely was a bonding moment. Full house. It brings us together, doesn't it? And next thing you know, pandemic hit and we needed a worship leader and it worked out well for you to come be with us. So this has been a, an absolute joy to get to work with Freddie on this. Um, Freddie, you were raised in, in the black church. Absolutely. And um, I think one of the things I've loved about our conversations over the years is how we've been able to learn from each other. And I think I've been able to ask a lot of questions about growing up. I did not grow up in the black church. (laughs) No? (laughs) I grew up in the the white Dutch Reformed church. It's about as white as you could get in Australia. So that's about... You grew up in the black church in Philadelphia. I grew up in a white Dutch reformed church in Adelaide, Australia. So this opposite ends of the globe. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love learning your story. And I think one of the things, the vision for this is, is again, celebrating things that have come out of the black church and the black story. I wonder if you could speak to, just for a minute, some of what you've seen in your story and experience and learning of how the, the black church has influenced the global church and the, the special contributions sure. that the black church has been able to make to the church more globally. If you could speak to that sure. for a minute. Yeah, well, I mean, and, I mean, we're singing gospel music tonight. Uh, you know, many of us know that gospel, the term gospel means good news. Um, and I think for me, I had the privilege of traveling. My father is a very accomplished gospel songwriter, pianist. Um, and I had the privilege of traveling with him early in my life to, you know, not just throughout the U.S., but all over the globe. We spent time in Germany, in Switzerland, um, Austria. You know, I, I was a teenager with people who looked nothing like me, didn't, I mean, many of them did speak English. Um, I didn't speak German. Um, but one thing that we were able to bond over was my father was doing gospel music workshops, which basically we'd go into these places and teach a group of non-English speaking Germans or um, you know, the French, how to sing gospel music. Mm. And what we found is people would sing this music and they would be touched by it, not really understanding why. Mm. Um, and when they would research the lyrics, a lot of them came to Christ. But what happened to them? It was the same God that's drawn me, the same God that's drawn Chris, the same God that's drawn all of us, worked through that music as a language to reach people who maybe we didn't have any other shared cultural experiences, but God used it as a vehicle to introduce them to the hope that they needed. And yeah. I, that style that, you know, they would sing it enjoying it without knowing what it was saying. Mm. You know, but there was a feeling in it. Yeah. You know, there was a power in it. And um, that came out of the black church in America. Yeah. 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 Would you say um, lyrically, theologically, the story of the black people being captured in yeah. that kind of music? How would you yeah. speak to that and how that has influenced the gospel? Yeah. So I would say, you know, one of the things that I think um, gospel in particular has influenced even the global church is a focus on things that aren't necessarily temporal, Mm. you know, things that aren't the here and now. Like, yes, we believe that the gospel does affect the here and now, but all of our needs aren't going to be met in the here and now. But we are looking to a day 
when Christ will set all things right. He will bring all yeah. things that are low up. Yeah. He will bring all things that are high down. Yeah. And that really is a focus in gospel music primarily because it was birthed, you know, coming kind of from spirituals that came out of slavery. Yeah. And, you know, those people had nothing else to look to. They had no other hope. They were in a situation that was completely and totally dire. And so for them, they couldn't sing about, you know, my blessing is on the way. You know, or, you know, they couldn't sing those things. They had to sing toward heaven because that was really the only hope they had to hold on to. Um, and I think that's something that even throughout um, the evolution of gospel music hasn't been lost. Songs that really do point us to a coming savior, point us um, to a day where, you know, the old mothers in the church, you know, I came up, you know, old school, so they would say, where the weary would cease from troubling. <laughs> and, mm. uh, you know, or the, the wicked would cease from troubling and the weary will be at rest, you know. Um, it pointed us to that day. It pointed us to a time, um, you know, where ultimate hope would come. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, um, I feel like one of the unique things about you and even how we actually met each other in that uh, moment in Philadelphia was that you've worked, you were raised, as you said, your father was a, or is an accomplished uh, gospel music artist. So you were raised in the black church, but yet you've ministered extensively in predominantly white churches as well, in a whole broad range of different uh, styles and ethnic groups. Um, you toured with a, a band named United Pursuit for a while. I don't know if some, we sing some of their songs here. You might have heard of United Pursuit. Freddie was in their band for a, at least for one tour and one album. Yeah. And uh, I think what's, what's interesting as we're moving forward and looking at some of the newer groups that are coming out in, in gospel music, it seems like there is a, I want to use the word correctly, almost a fusing together, a bringing together of different styles, different styles of musicians and worship leaders yeah. uh, that are, are bring, or creating almost a new sound. Yeah. Again, um, Maverick City music would be one example of that. Um, maybe Israel Houghton, yeah. kind of back in the day. I remember you said to me once, you know, Israel is great. He's gospel music for white people. And uh, I thought, okay, yeah. <laughs> which, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I love it. To worship you, I live. I ask David to sing that every week. And uh, about once every four months, he says yes. So, uh, but United Pursuit is a bunch of white guys and girls. And they said, we want to do an album influenced by the style of gospel music. Yeah. Freddie, can you teach us how to do that? If, if you could speak to a minute, even musically, lyrically, how you've seen these things come together. And maybe even some of the ways the different styles and different churches are learning sure. from another and, sure. and the best of each of those is maybe coming together. I'd yeah. love to hear I your mean, voice on that. One thing about gospel music, I mean, so when I, I'll just tell a quick story to give context to that. So when I was growing up and I was learning how to play, I grew up in, you know, my dad's church, completely, totally black Pentecostal church. Whatever you think of when you think of black <laughs> Pentecostal church, it's more than that. Like, whatever you have in your mind, it's more than that. Are you, so not Dutch Reformed. Not okay, quite Dutch it. Reformed. Okay, just making sure. Slightly okay. different than Dutch Reformed. Um, frozen so, Chosen is what we used to call ourselves. Yeah, anyway, keep going. Definitely not the Frozen Chosen. We were probably too hot. Um, so one of the things that, that's a part of that experience as a musician is there's less of a plan oftentimes. You know, you mm -hmm. come, there's more time just feeling after God for what he wants to do. Mm. And, you know, maybe some days we probably need more of a plan. Sure. 
But I will say that not having that and having that freedom provided so many opportunities to really just sense after God to see what he wanted to do. And those times in God marked me. But what they also did as a musician is they humbled me. Because my aunt would do praise and worship. And she had the unique gifting of being able to sing in any key that I didn't quite know how to play in yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every time she got up there, for me, it was a lesson in humility because I was going to look completely and totally like a fool. Um, and every Sunday, every single Sunday, I went to church in my mind knowing it wasn't going to be a good day for me on the organ. Mm-hmm. I knew that. Because, you know, you just, people just get up and sing a song. You know, any song. And you're expected to know it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I started playing at like 11, 12. So there was a lot of pressure on me to know a whole lot of songs. Mm-hmm. There were many of them before my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found in that is you grow in your ability to guess and be right. Mm. You know? Guess and be right. Okay. You grow in your it's, ability. It might be a sermon in that. Guess and be right. Okay. You, you, you grow in your ability to do that. But what it also did is it trained me as a musician to be ready for anything. Mm. And so when I got in professional situations, I already was way down the field developed in areas that my peers were still trying to figure out. So fast forward that to things like United Pursuit and, um, you know, other groups that aren't that gospel style. Well, the discipline of gospel equipped so many musicians with so much musical language to walk into any situation and to be able to thrive and to add something significant. Good. Um, you know, there's a lot of musical situations where because of that training, I can walk into without rehearsal. But with gospel songs, you cannot do that. <laughs> it's going to be a really, really bad day if you just show up to rehearsal without having learned the songs. Why? Because there's just a rich, harmonic history of gospel music. And I will say, too, you know, a lot of times we think about, and it's a little bit of a shift in the segue, but when we think about um, just the struggle that gospel music has been born out of, you know, some of the greatest songs that we can think of came from not the mountaintop in people's lives, right. but the valley. Amen. And I think that because gospel music is a genre that cannot be divorced from the, the liberation of African Americans from enslavement and just from oppression, there's something that God did special in that music to bless it. And through the struggle of it, God gave that music a power that I'm not sure so many other genres have. And so I think that as we celebrate it today, we're not just here, and I love what David said about enjoying the best of black culture. And I think that's, that's a very profound statement. And I would just speak to why we're doing that. Like, you know, why are we enjoying that? Well, we're not enjoying it so we can just enjoy it and then set it down and go about our lives. But we're enjoying it because as we enjoy something like that, it changes us. Amen. Amen. You know, it, it marks us. And I think, um, you know, it just, it helps us to grow closer to one another, yeah. to speak to the Israel, um, the Mavericks. You know, God's desire is for us to be closer. Yeah. You know, and I think these fusing of these genres is putting us all in the same room. So that we can love one another, look more like the kingdom, Amen. and learn from one another. Amen. Because nothing puts an end to divisiveness like proximity. When we yeah. come together and we understand each other better, 
then, you know, it's hard for people to kind of give us a narrative that's not true about each other. That's good. You know, that's so. a great word, Freddie. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other um, distance that can be created sometimes is not just racial or stylistic or what church you grew up in, but generational Absolutely. as well. And uh, we have one of my very good friends here, a real friend of this house, Pastor T.L. Rogers. Um, T.L., why don't you come on up? Can we bless T.L. as he comes to give a word? I, I know. I, I have to say this. and we, <laughs> Pastor T.L. has spoken at our church at least three times now. Is that right? He's been a friend here. And uh, Pastor TL and Pastor Stuart McAlpine, uh, two long-standing uh, church planters, spiritual leaders in the DMV region who both planted their churches. What year was it? 1987. May the 3rd. No, May 3rd, 1987. One, one is a white Englishman and one is a black pastor, planted their churches on the same day and became dear friends by work of God and we're able to gather pastors of all backgrounds from all over the city and we meet at least four or five times a year for breakfast, for fellowship. We sing, we worship, we pray for one another and TL is one of the leaders of that movement and uh, has become a dear friend to me. Um, we had Pastor TL come and share last year at our gospel music celebration and I remember um, just before it, <laughs> I have to tell this story. TL said to me, he looked at some of the songs, he says, I'm not sure these are, some of these are gospel songs. And I, me and Taylor are on the phone, and we, we know each other well enough that he can just shoot me straight. So I'm not sure if these are gospel songs. And I said, I'm, I'm out of my depth. I'm, I'm from the frozen chosen Dutch Reformed in Adelaide, Australia. So I called Freddie, and I said, Freddie, I said, what do you think? I said, TL knows gospel music, obviously. You think these are gospel? And Freddie said, well, he said, they're different generations of gospel as well. And that's why I thought it was interesting to have both of you guys, because both, not just your backgrounds, but your generational experience bring a different flavor of gospel. And so, T.L., I wonder if you could speak to and then share with us, teach us even a moment of gospel music that has come out of your generation, your church lived experience, and how that's blessed people. And, and the song I, I was hoping to get to teach today, Oh Happy Day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, Happy Day was written in 19, was recorded in 1967, and then again in 69. But it was at a, such an interesting time in my development as a musician, uh, because I grew up playing the piano in a, a holiness church, holiness. which was deeper than Pentecostal church. <laughs> That's true. That's Holiness true. didn't believe nobody was saved but them. That's not right. Not even the Pentecostals. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and so, in the Holiness Storefront Church, they sang songs that were not written down, were not recorded. And if you learned one song, uh -huh. you knew them all. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's what I grew up grew up on. And I began playing the organ. And the music then was very traditional gospel music. We've come this far by faith, that kind of music. But I was cheating. I was listening at some jazz. <laughs> and my music 
my organ playing began to have this jazz motif. And I had to be sneaky with it. I just had to sort of sneak in those jazz chords, you know. And then Edwin Hawkins came out with Oh Happy Day. And Oh Happy Day had that little jazz motif to it. And I heard it and I said, that's my music. <laughs> That's my music. Oh, Happy Day was so interesting because it was the first song that um, the mainstream music world accepted. Yeah. Uh, gospel music song. The, uh, uh, the white uh, radio stations were playing this song, Oh, Happy Day. But it was recorded in a Church of God in Christ, which is Pentecostal church. And the struggle with Church of God in Christ was they didn't want their music being played on a secular station. But the problem for them was the song was saying, when Jesus washed my sins away. And so it was literally a witness to a whole secular audience yeah. that had never really embraced our music. And so it, it, was, it was a game changer yeah. 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 when it, Walter Hawkins came out with Oh Happy Day. And the other thing that was interesting was in the 60s when there was so much civil unrest mm -hmm. and there was so much fighting and there was so much going on and a song came out about Happy Day, a wow. happy day. And the reason there was a happy day, it was credited to Jesus washing our sins yeah. away. Yeah. So it was just a wonderful, wonderful time, yeah. revolutionary yeah. time. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Are you